Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. History was made on Monday. Amy Coney Barrett was sworn in to become the fifth woman ever confirmed on the Supreme Court. And, you know, I think that Senator Lindsey Graham, he's a Republican in South Carolina, he put it best when he said on Fox News Hannity on Monday night, to all conservative women who go through hell for being conservative, who get beat up by the mainstream media for embracing your faith, being pro-life, you're a winner tonight. There's a seat at the table for you. So I don't typically watch Hannity, but I just happened to, you know, be excited. And I kept Fox on after the confirmation and then the ceremony that was at the White House. And, you know, I heard this live and I just couldn't agree with it more. And thinking back to when I was interviewing women not too long ago in front of the Supreme Court, what it meant to them. And I just really felt it that night. And I still feel it today that, you know, women are valued and not just liberal women, all women in society. And you look at a mother of seven children who can be on the Supreme Court, you know, I don't think ever you can really have it all, but it shows that women can do a lot. I just found myself so filled with hope on Monday night. It's like, this is such an incredible step for our country. And I think even, um, you know, I think of like for my kids, you know, future generations, it's just, it's laying a strong foundation for America. So I'm super excited. I I know many in our audience are probably thrilled, but unfortunately, uh, a lot on the left are, are not excited. Um, in fact, they're they're pretty upset. And Lauren, you stumbled across a really sad campus reform story about Kappa Delta sorority. So Justice Barrett, she was a Kappa Delta at Rhodes College. And upon her confirmation, the sorority congratulated her. Seems like a really nice thing to do for a sorority that has a mission statement of building confidence and inspiring action. Uh, But I guess that Barrett's confidence and action to become the first mom of school-aged children to be elected to the Supreme Court was not necessarily what the sorority was trying to inspire. So they ended up actually deleting the post and they wrote an apology to all those who were triggered by their congratulating Justice Barrett. Yeah, this is literally so insane, Virginia. I mean, when you are rushing a sorority, they want to really sell you all the benefits and all the women who have gone through there. And, you know, I was in a sorority and one of the biggest alumni of my sorority was the matriarch of the Brady Bunch, Flores Henderson. It was a big talking point. I can't imagine for the sorority. I mean, you can say like, women who've gone through this, you know, they learn leadership, they became Supreme Court justices. And the fact that they now have to go back on that. Like, I, I just don't understand why it is bad to just congratulate a woman who was part of your sorority, who increases the quality of women who came out of the sorority, you know, the, the different roles that women in your sorority have, that they had to apologize. It's just it, like so insane. Well, and I mean, it's like even if you don't agree with you know her her political views, uh, you can still certainly, even if you disagree with someone, congratulate them on truly a historic moment in their life. Uh, and it's it's like you said, Lauren, it's just sad that they couldn't even do that. But uh, we do have an excellent show planned for today. So, Lauren, go ahead and let us know what we have queued up. 
Up on today's Problematic Women, we talk with mother and the founder of No Left Turn in Education, Alana Yaren Fishbein, about how she's fighting against progressive ideology in school. Plus, California native Allison Weissenberger joins us to discuss COVID-19 lockdown measures in her state and why this Halloween we should be more scared by government overreach than ghosts or goblins. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. I am joined by Alana Yaron Fishbein, founder of No Left Turn in Education. Alana, welcome to Problematic Women. Thank you very much. It's really a pleasure to be in a good company of problematic women. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I I don't have children myself yet, but I already find myself thinking about how I'm going to navigate that that education process one day because schools are increasingly adopting such progressive agendas. So you founded No Left Turn in Education to really push back against that woke agenda that we are seeing promoted in public schools and even now in some in some private schools. So this this issue is is personal to you. Can you tell us what happened at your child's school that led you to found No Left Turn in Education? Uh, yes, I'll comment first on uh, one of the things that you said, but because I think what happened is uh, parents, for the most part, trusted the schools, trusted the teachers, trusted that the principal and all the school staff are really working for the best interests of the kids. And unfortunately, with recent experience, uh, they're finding out that uh, not the case anymore. Uh, and that uh, trust really has been shattered. Uh, I found it on a personal level in my experience. As a, as a parent who usually has been involved in my kids' education and followed lessons and followed homework, uh, and I know that not every parent can do that. As somebody with the background I have in social work, I have my master's and bachelor and doctorate in social work in child welfare. I understand that Families have different circumstances, and not all parents uh, really can get involved, although they would like to get involved. Um, so uh, as a parent who has been very involved in the, my kids' education, uh, gradually I've been really uh, concerned about what I've been seeing creeping into their education, which I don't know why I'm even calling education, because some of the material is really was not education. Uh, and times have been uh, changing, uh, and we have been uh, moving further and further from what we have been considering like a classical education, uh, they, what they used to term the three R's. Um, and over the time, are, it was very obvious where it was coming from. Uh, a big one was definitely the issue of uh, man-made climate change. But uh, it did not bother most people because it was nice. It was uh, almost like neutral subject. 
but after the death of uh, George Floyd, very unfortunate um, circumstances, um, it looks like what has been going on in some school around the country uh, and under really not much of a watchful eye of uh, most parents, st- all of a sudden broke into practically all schools. And you know that a few private school, that's not correct. In fact, in most private school, prestigious and otherwise, private school that has been uh, very much part of their curriculum, um, from Catholic school, Jewish school, any school, Episcopalian schools, we have been approached by many parents from private school who, after turning to their board of directors and administration at the school and got uh, really uh, the cold shoulder and uh, resistance to any input from the parents to res- to restrict this kind of teaching, um, uh, we are hearing a lot also from private school. At this point, it's very widespread. I would even, uh, you know, vouch to guess that this is almost almost in every school in the country. Wow. So there was there was an instance um, that you spoke about in a recent Daily Signal article that you wrote, where uh, you received an email from your son's school talking about a last minute book assignment that you're child was supposed to read. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Of course. uh, uh, Two days before the school was, uh, the school year was over, uh, we received an email from the, uh, from the principal and followed by emails from the teachers of my kids' classes. Uh, My sons at that point were uh, second grade and fourth grade in that public school in Gladwin Elementary School in Pennsylvania, Lower Marion School District, notifying us about last-minute change of the Zoom call for the next day uh, and coming up with this cultural proficiency curriculum, uh, which included a specific lesson plan as well as uh, selected books that they're going to be going over in class starting at uh, K through fifth grade. Uh, and one of the book, indeed, I talked about in the article, um, which looks pretty innocent, um, you know, uh, very nice pictures, but very disturbing content. The books uh, basically is about a boy who introduces himself, a boy that introduces himself as a brown boy because uh, with a brown skin color, I'm sorry, because his mother is white and his father is black. What uh, struck me right away as I was reading the book, and mind you, this book was going to kids for K to third grade. And when the kid introduces himself, he introduces himself as, uh, um, I think I I should mention the name of the book, is uh, a kid's book about racism. And the author was Jelani Memory. And he writes a lot of books with the same kind of flavor. Uh, so the main characteristic that introduces himself, he says that he's a mix or African-American biracial black or person of color. And for me, it struck me right away, how come there is no mention of his mother? Her mother is white. So how come the possibility of being also a white is not 
one of these options. It could be a black or African-American. Why not? Can it be white? And I have to admit, it right away resonated with me with our previous president, uh, Barack Obama, uh, who seemed throughout the presidency identifying only with his black side, but not with his white side. And I thought it was, uh, and as well as the media that constantly referred to him as our first black president uh, and ignoring the fact that uh, he was of a mixed race. Uh, and uh, later on, what was also troubling uh, that the kid is uh, consistently uh, attributing any possible mistreatment of him to the fact that he is not a white kid, to the fact that he is of a different skin color. Uh, and that's raised a lot of question. Um, you know, kids play, kids uh, interact, kids have, uh, you know, formed different kind of relationship. And here, when you are looking at the, the way they are describing those interaction, it appears that when the kids is not being treated well, it's constantly uh, referred to as a problem with his color of his skin, not because maybe there is a bully in the school that bullying all kind of kids, as well as this kid. Maybe uh, there's a possibility that that kid of color, he is not a nice kid and is as well is not being treated uh, because of he's not being a nice kid or any possibility that maybe, you know, if the both sides, both kids are kids of color, or this is also a problem of racism. So the whole tone of the book is constantly uh, a sign uh, any problem with relationship with the kids to the color of skin and not to any other human quality that might be an issue with interaction between two human beings, kids or adults. So this this book is sent home and um, like like you've described, you're seeing issues of concern that there's sort of this very um, one-sided narrative that's being pushed forward. And so you wrote to your your son's school, you expressed your concerns, there was no response. Ultimately, uh, you found no left turn in education, because you want to be a voice for those parents that are concerned about this, this leftist agenda that we're increasingly seeing, I would say not only presented, but uh, almost uh, forced on individuals. There's there's no other alternative. Uh, so what have you heard from other parents and educators um, that, you know, as as you're working with No Left Turn in Education and as you're promoting uh, American ideals, what are other parents and educators saying to you about, you know, their concerns of, of what we're seeing in our education system? After I received no response uh, from the officials, the, the superintendent, school board members, and the principal, uh, and I posted my uh, uh, letter, I got a lot of messages from parents who are very, very concerned. However, they're very afraid. And that's why I launched the No Left Turn movement. And indeed, uh, since I launched the movement and since my appearance on Tucker, uh, we are constantly receiving uh, messages and uh, people are joining the movement from all over the country. By now, I believe we have chapters in 10 states. 
I cannot open chapters fast enough. And we have been in existence literally only two months. Uh, I'm hearing from, indeed, not only parents, we are hearing also from teachers, uh, from people that have been working in the school systems, uh, not only the educators, as well as many senior citizen people who are very concerned about what happened to the country that they uh, worked so hard to build and they grew up with. They don't recognize it anymore. Uh, we are hearing from everybody, basically. Uh, and uh, the concern is uh, uh, definitely about what has been uh, really uh, imposed on the children and what's there going to be the implication of this kind of indoctrination. They are concerned of all aspects of this indoctrination, including the 1619 project, uh, which they uh, do not recognize the, the actual basic uh, truth about how this country was uh, uh, formed, as well as the comprehensive, um, the critical race theory, uh, which uh, basically groups all the people in the country into, uh, you know, by color of skin. Uh, which is very disturbing, you are losing totally the individual identity. You are not individual anymore. You are part of a group that is defined by a color. You don't have a personality. You don't have a character. Your character is defined by birth based on your skin color. And that's very scary to people. And the implication for the relationship between uh, uh, the people in the country, as well as the issue of the comprehensive sexuality education, which uh, totally undermine the basic foundation of human society and uh, shattering the basic unit of family because they are no longer men and women because you can be anything you want any day of the week and uh, there is no uh, longer uh, really uh, a structure of um, uh, uh, a nuclear family. And then by this, in fact, you are shattering the basic foundation of our society, uh, the community, the family unit, and the community, etc. cetera. Uh, that has been really the cry and the, for help uh, that we are hearing from um, people from all walks of life um, in the country. Private school, public school, parents, grandparents, educators, all sort of professionals. So if I am a parent or a student listening and thinking, yes, I am in a position of seeing my school or my child's school really embrace these uh, far left ideals, what resources does No Left Turn in Education have to offer me? We are working on that exactly in these times, building on um, what already has been done by different group of parents around the country when they were fighting different issues, such as Common Core. And we are I'm reaching out to many organizations and many groups to try to collaborate and build on their experience in order to form uh, uh, strategies and tactics in order to address this issue. So one of the things that is important is joining. You are not alone because people are intimidated. People are afraid to speak up. They look on what's happening on the streets of America. Uh, they are very bold. Uh, the other side is very bold. Uh, very much aggressive, even uh, violent. I, in my book, I consider them terrorists. Uh, and you cannot really negotiate with terrorists. So we are building strategies 
to empower parents. We're building strategies that will uh, mobilize them and give them tools uh, in order to uh, act locally as well as nationally. We would like to act on the legal uh, front, on the um, a political front as well on uh, the civic front. Uh, we devised uh, several goals. Uh, in addition to our mission statement, we devised several goals uh, for us uh, to uh, guide us in our work and make us focus on what we want to achieve. Um, one of the basic things that we want to achieve, as I mentioned in uh, the article uh, in the Daily Signal, is uh, restoring the initial intent of the uh, when the um, when the Department of Education was instituted in 1979, uh, there was a basic uh, relationship structure uh, between the parents and the schools. And apparently, with what's happening today, it doesn't exist anymore. It's totally shattered. We want to preserve and we want to restore the parental function in public school education and elevate the family as a core teaching unit of society rather than what's happening currently. So how can I go about joining the rank of No Left Turn in education? Where can I find more information? Uh, we are on uh, Facebook as No Left Turn in Education. Uh, we are also uh, constructing our website. There is some minimal information currently. However, in the next few days, we are going to augment it. So it will include uh, more information and tools and resources so parents can act. Uh, and that's going to be noleftturn.us. Uh, that's the website. You can find us also on Twitter. Uh, at no left turn Ilana. And, uh, we have also an email contact, uh, at no left turn. Um, uh, and, um, I think those are basically the main tools for, uh, reaching out to us. We also opened local chapters and you can join your local chapters. A local chapter are starting now to recruit more parents and to reach out to more, not only parents, also more uh, people who are interested in saving our families, saving our communities, and saving our country. So if you Google anywhere, no left turn in education, I'm sure you'll be able to uh, uh, hit one of our um, Facebook sites or our uh, website. Great. Alana, thank you. We just really appreciate you joining the show today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, and I hope very much to um, encourage parents not to be afraid and to mobilize and join other people like-minded who want to save our country. We cannot let them roll all over us. We have to get together and push back. We have the numbers. We are the majority, and we can do it. I have no doubt that we are going to prevail. Thank you, Alana. Thank you very much. Up next, Lauren talks with Allison Weisenberger about government overreach on the left amid the COVID-19 pandemic and why it's truly frightening. But before we get to that, ladies, Tuesday is Election Day, and it is your right under the 19th Amendment, which so many incredible women fought so hard for 
to vote. So let's exercise our right and our duty on November 3rd and vote. The right to vote is fundamental to our democracy. So we encourage everyone to make sure that their vote is counted and cast your ballot in person on election day. Protecting the integrity of our elections should matter to everyone. And there is no better way to ensure that your vote counts than by going to your polling place to vote. Your right to vote is sacred, so don't give it up. We are about six months since the beginning of the pandemic, and some states are still under some major lockdown orders to help slow the spread of COVID-19. However, citizens in those states with heavy regulations continue to grow frustrated with the orders, citing them as ineffective government overreach. I'd like to welcome to the show Allison Weisenberger, mother of two, Californian, and author of a recent Fox News article, Halloween 2020. It's government overreach that is really spooky this year. I love the title. Welcome, Allison. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. So, Allison, like many of us, we thought these orders would be temporary, you know, 15 days to stop the spread. If you knew what you know now, how do you think you and your family would have handled the pandemic differently? You know, we were definitely on board with all of the lockdowns when it first started. We wanted to do everything that we could just to make sure to help slow the spread and make sure that we weren't impacting anyone that was more vulnerable than us. But looking back, you know, we've been under lockdown here in Los Angeles County since March. And here we are deep into October and there is still so much that's closed. I think I I probably would have asked a few more questions um, earlier on and maybe considered going out a little bit more and um, especially letting my toddler run around a little bit more (laughs) if I knew it was going to be lasting this far into the year. So we all want everyone to be safe and we don't want people to get sick. And, you know, we we definitely do not want to see loss of life. Knowing this, why do you also think it's important to give people the choice on how to handle their own safety? Yeah, well, like I talked about in my article, there is just still so many things that are closed here. I mean, we are still not allowed to go to church indoors in LA County, no indoor restaurants, no museums, zoos, aquariums that are all inside. And our playgrounds actually just opened about two weeks ago. So you really have to weigh um, the consequences with with the lockdowns. Um, We've just read so many articles and I know firsthand from other moms that I've spoken with, there's been a lot of psychological impacts for our kids, you know, just changing routine and not being able to let the kids know when we're going to be able to reopen, go back to our, our schedule, go back to routine, go back to school for those older kids. And there's just been a prolonged disruption of social life, fewer activities to look forward to. And here we are looking at another holiday that's going to be impacted. And it, you know, could have been something really fun for us to, to look forward to with all of our kids. Yeah, California is is ground zero and, and they basically tried to cancel Halloween, right? They did. They first came down in LA County with an edict saying they were going to cancel Halloween altogether and make an outright ban on door-to-door trick-or-treating and the trunk-or-treating, which is really popular now too. Um, so there was a huge backlash from 
parents across the political spectrum, which was actually great to see, uh, you know, just parents questioning whether this was really trusting the science that we've heard, you know, kids aren't affected in the same way that adults are. And thankfully, there has been a, not too many kids that have been hospitalized um, for COVID-19 here in California. So they questioned that. There was a huge backlash. And then the next day, they kind of walked back the orders a little bit and just said they were strongly discouraging trick-or-treating and just asking parents to do activities inside and to show maybe a movie inside or to do a do your own trick-or-treating indoors with your siblings. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, Americans, they always think creatively and, you know, find solutions that can keep people safe. Uh, you mentioned trunk-or-treating, I know is going to be really popular this year. And I've seen, even seen, like, people are making shoots where they could, like, put a piece of candy and send it down their porch. I mean, do you think there's there's middle grounds between, you know, maybe it won't be a normal Halloween, but ways that we can kind of keep it safe and make sure kids do have this experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we are just so creative, especially as moms. And I'm just thinking it's Halloween. We're going to be outside anyway. We know that there's less risk outside. We're able to eat outdoors in California. So it would just go to reason that a holiday where most kids are wearing masks anyway, we could encourage that and you know, stay outside, socially distance. Um, if folks are vulnerable and they feel uncomfortable with having kids come to their door or interacting with them, they could leave candy on the doorstep or individual goodie bags, you know, whatever people are comfortable with. I always want to teach my children to respect other, you know, other people's comfort levels, but to just really shut down a whole holiday for our children who have really suffered this year just seemed like a bit of overreach to me. And I felt like I just really wanted to speak out on their behalf. Yeah. And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You know, you are a mom, you know, what are the effects on, on children being stuck in a house and, you know, not seeing other children for now six months? It's been tough on parents and on the children. We've seen a lot of psychological impacts. You know, other moms that I talk to tell me it's tough on the family having a lack of routine and having these extended lockdowns without an end in sight and with these moving targets. It's been a real disruption to social life and to family life. And there's fewer activities to, to look forward to for a lot of kids. Unfortunately, you know, we've heard that there's there's been more anxiety and depression and panic attacks have spiked even among children and teens it just concerns me too, because even among young kids who we kind of think that they might be able to handle this and, and not know what's going on, um, their brains are still developing. And we just know that routine is so important, right? I mean, it's important to us as adults and it's even more important to young children. So to not have a sense of routine, um, to be inside and not have those social experiences where you are you're with your kids and they're able to burn energy and be free and play and socialize with other children. It's just really tough on them mentally. Yeah. And it doesn't sound like it's going to stop with Halloween. Governor Newsom also put some pretty hefty regulations and recommendations on, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with your family, right? Yes. Um, those have come down recently and they are 
the state of California is discouraging gatherings um, of different households. So they don't want you really mingling with other families that live outside the home. They've they've said that um, you can have no more than three households congregating, including the family that lives at the home you're congregating at. They've also asked us to hold Thanksgiving outdoors. You know, in California, that might sound like it's fine, but we still have wildfires going. I mean, today our cars are covered in ash and soot. So just it's not as easy as it sounds. They want you to wear cloth masks um, in between bites when you're eating and um, have asked us to use disposable plates and utensils um, and to keep the gatherings less than two hours. So I don't know how your Thanksgiving goes, but mine with a family and um, kids, keeping it under two hours is no easy feat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, this is family that you probably haven't seen all year. To put those sort of regulations on it and not allow people, you know, to make decisions. You maybe you have a a family that where the grandparents have passed and it's all young people. But also I could see maybe you do have a 85, 90 year old grandmother and you really want to be safe. It it just seems like people should be making those decisions for themselves. Yeah. And we you know, adults can make their own decisions. We're creative, you know, like we talked about. I've heard of families gathering and they're able to even socially distance within a home. If there's one person that feels more comfortable doing that, we are all diligent now about washing hands, sanitizing, you know, using proper PPE when that's necessary. And just to continue issuing these orders, um, restricting fun, it seems like, and family time is just real overkill. Well, final question, even if you do not go trick-or-treating, is your family going to dress up? And if so, do you have any good costumes planned? I want to try and convince my husband to go as the McCloskeys. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) But um, if if we're keeping it family-friendly, I think we're going to, we might do the Little Mermaid and have, you know, Ariel and my my little one-year-old, I might have him be the little crab, Sebastian. (laughs) Oh, well, that sounds so cute. Well, Allison, thank you again so much for your time. And for our listeners, we'll be sure to drop her article down in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me. America is at a crossroads. Each day we see the penalties of progressive policies across our nation, while night after night our city streets are set ablaze by riots and rage. That's why the Heritage Foundation has developed a plan to help take our country back. The Citizen's Guide to Fight for America provides a series of Heritage-recommended action items delivered to you each week. Make an impact in your community and in our country. Sign up for the Citizen's Guide at heritage.org slash 2020 and join in the fight for America today. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... Sisters Ruth Serrato and Raquel Santiago. So Ruth and Raquel, they live in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and they and their family ran a sweet little ice cream shop uh, until just about two months ago when rioters burned the shop to the ground during demonstrations after Jacob Blake was shot in Kenosha by a police officer. 
myself and uh, two other of my heritage colleagues, we traveled to Kenosha at the beginning of October to talk with some of those small business owners who were affected by the riots. And we spoke with Ruth and Raquel, and we heard the story of how their family had immigrated to America from Mexico and spent more than 15 years building up this family business uh, called the Good Taste Ice Cream Shop. Now, our multimedia team has been working so hard to produce a short documentary that tells uh, the, the story of this family, of these two sisters and all that they have been through. So that documentary is going to be coming out within the next few days. So please go ahead if you haven't already and subscribe to the Daily Signals YouTube channel so you can see that video when it comes out. I'll as well be pushing it out on my Twitter page. So we're we're just so excited to share these awesome ladies' story. It really is powerful. It's tragic in so many ways. It's also encouraging to see the hope that they still have and how this community in Kenosha is really coming together to overcome uh, some pretty incredible challenges. Yeah, I've been part of the Daily Signal making documentaries for about five years now. And I think this one is probably just the most visually stunning when you look at these shots and kind of all this destruction that was left behind. So I really recommend that people take the time to see, you know, uh, we see these riots, you see it on Twitter, kind of when it's happening, but really see the aftermath and the people that it affected. Yeah, thanks, Lauren. It is incredible to see how this has deeply affected people's lives. And it's it's more than just a story on the news. These, these are individuals that have pasts and histories and kids, and um, this has changed their world. So definitely check that out. Well, last week, we asked you all on Twitter what your favorite fall pastime was. And about 44% of you said bonfires. I guess we have a pretty active audience here at Problematic Women because uh, no one voted for the a good book option. <laughs> Everyone chose activity. We don't, we don't like nerds on the show. <laughs> hey, we like everybody. Everybody's welcome. <laughs> All right, everybody's welcome, but... I like reading, but I mean, I do in, in the fall. Like, you got to be outside. It's just great weather. So. But I'm really proud of the poll question we have for this week. Lauren, would you do the honors? Yes. This week's Twitter question is, what is scarier than Halloween this year? Ooh. And the answers are government overreach, woke education policies, cancel culture or socialize health care i just i don't even know like is there a select all like <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty intense list we have going on there <laughs> so that uh poll will be up on my twitter page virginia underscore allen five be sure to check it out it will be up this morning and available for 24 hours we want to hear from you guys be sure to vote and with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. We are taking a break during election week. Lauren is actually moving next week. Congrats to her. She is now a homeowner. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and the Daily Signal team, though, we will still be active. We will be podcasting throughout the week on the Daily Signal podcast. So definitely check that out so you can hear from myself and my colleague, Rachel Del Judas to stay up with the news and the latest going on regarding the election. And Lauren and I, we will be back with you on November 12th. And as always, 
conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week, and don't forget to vote. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.